Hello, welcome to Fantastic Beats. Three people, three tracks. We swap them, we talk about them. I'm Jack Tutor. I'm Lizzie Maris. And our guest this time is writer and musician based in Tempe, Arizona, and author of Begin the Begin, REM's Early Years. It's Robert Dean Lurie. Hello, Robert. Hello, Jack and Lizzie. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. This is going to be fun. So, Lizzie, you've got the first of this time's three tracks, so give us it. All right, so I will start us off. So, my track is from the Go team, and that's the Go exclamation mark team because the Go team are a different band. Um, <laughs> so, this song is called Huddle Formation, and it's off their uh, 2004 album Thunder Lightning Strike. Interesting about this this particular track, it is track 12 on the album, and as you'll hear later on, it is a total high energy banger. So, normally around track, <laughs> track 12, you're thinking okay we're maybe getting into the stuff that kind of felt a little bit more experimental or a little bit more you wanted to add this because it's a bit more chilled but i think it says quite a lot about this band that even their track 12 on the album is very very um (laughs) high energy so yeah i particularly love this track because it's indicative of the go team so this was their first album that they kind of burst onto the scene with it does really really well um the go team are they make a lot of kind of cheerleader rock i when i was a little bit younger and i used to listen to it i used to think wow this is like sesame street music but for like teenagers and adults <laughs> so right. it's got a lot of fun samples and really fun beats and chants and kind of high energy positivity in it and yeah this track is just really fun it has lots of samples um it has lots of chants it's got countdowns like two three four in it and i just really enjoy it i think with this track like kind of any go team track you sort of have to hold it really lightly so the chants and the lyrics they're really flimsy they're really throwaway you, you kind of don't look for too much meaning in it unlike uh michael stipe who we will talk about later and <laughs> um, you, you don't look for too much in in a go team track and huddle formation is just great it's a great track to run to or go to the gym to or just get shit done to it's very motivational incredibly motivational it's to the point where you really do have to be in the mood for it because this is like an explosion of happiness and energy and that can be a lot if you don't want that so the thing that i really like about this track is that um on this whole album because it was their debut and it kind of shot them to fame it was produced in um their one of them i think the main person be kind of behind this this project it was produced in his parents garage which is in, in wales and then it had to sort of be reissued after it became really popular because they had some sort of sample clearance issues which uh. i think says a lot about this album it's you can feel that total raw energy of just people chucking things together <laughs> and this is this is why you should always check your sources because you may become famous and that may become an issue um but it's just people chucking things together recording things in garages and i think um the main person behind this project then got asked to play a festival and kind of had to throw a band together to make that happen live because originally it wasn't kind of intended that way it was kind of all kind of put put together um i think just digitally so i like that and then out of this you get this really really fun diverse band that there's a lot of dance moves when you see them and there's a lot of fun and i think there's just a lot of noises in it 
and and when you listen to the whole album you know as opposed to just this track there's a lot of just there's a lot of instruments involved like physically when if you ever see them live or you watch their videos there is so much percussion it is like a big old toy set has been opened and just off they go (laughs) um so that is huddle formation the powerful powerful huddle formation um jack what's what's your take on it yeah i mean to me and i mean this in a good way but it's almost sounds like a pop song where they forgot to turn some of the microphones on and then we're just forced to kind of cobble it together from whatever recordings they managed to actually capture so they're like fuck we've got a room mic where we've got the drums Um, (laughs) we've got kind of a microphone that's picking up the singing even though it's like down the corridor we can do this and and it kind of feels like a sort of midway between the sort of chaos of like a house party where the drums are like louder than you know anything else and kind of dominating the mix uh and almost like a demo tape as well where everything feels very like crumpled and about to fall apart and it sounds like for the like the main melody they kind of double tracked like a synthesizer and a guitar like on top of each other it's a weird one to work Mm. out it's got this sort of like fizzy smoothness to it which i quite quite like sounds a bit like a firework or something and the the vocals are really weird because when we first listened to it i think it was in my car and i was like maybe my stereo just isn't picking up the voice that much but then i put it on headphones and i was like do you know what (laughs) they are actually just like really crushed to the back Uh, and it sounds like that they've been captured on like a dictaphone or an old tape recorder and the kind of they're they're always low fidelity but the nature of that low fidelity seems to change like every time with each section of the song it's a weird decision that they've gone for like different shades of shitness but i mean that in a good way (laughs) but like it's like you know it's it's got a really lovely sort of interference to it I, i was really into it and it's a strange production technique, I think, for a song which has this like bombastic happiness that I think you were referring to, uh, and feels quite triumphant. It gives it almost like offsets that that triumph a bit. The fact that it is quite a ramshackle kind of production technique that they've gone for, and yeah, the lyrics, as you say, I, I kind of looked them up because I was intrigued what was being said because I couldn't hear a word of it, and it didn't really matter. Just don't worry, <laughs> don't worry <laughs> <Yeah>. yourself. <laughs> There's references to skateboarding. I think maybe. Yeah. Yeah. it's vaguely about just being young and clinging on to that i think they're in their early 20s when they when this came out so it was good fun it's not a kind of song that i can imagine myself returning too much it's just like a blast of happy you know it's like setting off a party popper it's like yeah it's fun at the time the stream has come down and then i'm like right on to my, the rest of my life but um what do, <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon robert well uh i do like the demented cheerleading squad aspect to it um i wasn't familiar at all with go team so i i didn't know if that's a quality that's in all of their songs from what lizzie said it sounds like it may be yeah um it it, it is so weird that it it gave it maybe an unintended dark edge for me just because it was so demented um and and maybe Ah. their intention is just to be purely happy um so i might have been reading more darkness into it than is actually there um i I enjoyed hearing jack talk about the production choices because that was something i was thinking about a lot as i was listening to the song as well i don't know what i think about the fact that the voices are so low in the mix I found myself wanting them to be more upfront, I guess just because that's what I'm used to. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time, by them being so deep in the mix, 
it does emphasize the music a bit more. It emphasizes the percussion. And especially it emphasizes what Jack was talking about with the guitar and, and keyboards. And I was trying to figure out what was going on there as well. I should know this because I'm a, a guitarist, but there's a term for when you're picking the strings extremely fast. Do you all know what yeah, the I term think it's is called for like that? tremolo picking, isn't it? Tremolo picking. Okay. So that's happening so fast. Either either it really is happening or they've kind of made it sound like that. Yes. Um, so there's this sustain effect. So it's almost like a, a, a violin running through the song. And I just thought that was that was really interesting. And if they were actually picking it, the person's arm has got to be completely wiped out <laughs> by the end of the song. They've um, got a lot of energy. They yeah, have yeah. got the energy. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoyed it. Um, it's probably worth my while to check out more of the Go team. And I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. Oh, that's brilliant. I think it's definitely... It's it's a I have got to get this thing done album this particular one so I have got to drive to this place or clean this house or complete <laughs> this project quite quickly uh it is that kind of album like let's let's do this let's yeah. go oh I I I'm glad I'm glad that seemed to go down quite well and I I agree about the darkness in it and I think yeah, that's where that too, kind actually. of Sesame Street the idea comes from because that that can be quite dark in places you know that's that's about life and puppets mm, you totally. know that's not all positivity um yeah i agree with that it's kind of overly saccharine yeah to the point where you're like kids voices <laughs> you know yeah there's like an, an, an edge of frenzy isn't it which if it just yeah. goes slightly too far you're just like what is driving that because it isn't just like <laughs> all good shiny happy things right. that's so funny i've chosen that sequence of words that must be subliminal that's but, uh, really uh, nerdy <laughs> <I Yeah. didn't. laughs> stop trying to suck up to him jack Let's uh, go on to our second track. Robert, what have you got? So I have brought Life and How to Live It by R.E.M. from the Fables of the Reconstruction album, which is their third record. And this song has great music to it, great lyrics, and it also has a great backstory. So I'll try to cover all three really quickly here. In terms of music, it is a little bit more of an epic sort of song, which is unusual for R.E.M., particularly in this phase. Mm. Um, you, you start out with this atmospheric, chorusy electric guitar playing really slowly, and it just goes on. It's a very short intro there. And then it comes in with this absolutely killer riff, and then the whole band comes crashing in. And that riff, for me... For years, I've been thinking that that riff must have had some kind of influence on the Sonic Youth song, Teenage Riot. Ah, oh. yeah, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, and I, I tried, I, I did a search to see if anyone else had ever made that connection, but I, I, I couldn't come up with anything. Um, but Teenage Riot has a slow, more drawn-out intro, and then it has that, a very similar riff, but it's more grunged up. 
Yeah. And then you can actually sing the chorus of Life and How to Live It to the verses of Teenage Riot. So <laughs> I think they were influenced, maybe not consciously, but I think there was a, an influence. Yeah, there's a lot of dynamics in the song. Um, the chorus has kind of a soaring quality. There's a, there's a great uh, Mike Mills backing vocal going on, um, which is, distinguishes a lot of, of R.E.M. songs. And, and then it has kind of a break in the middle where it goes back to that riff. So really great dynamics in the song. It's a great song live. It's a great song on the album. The singing is fantastic uh, and, and a, a bit un, unhinged in places. So then you have the lyrics, which uh, I feel like are, they seem to me to be a fairly good approximation of a schizophrenic state. And that, I believe, ties into the backstory. So... Uh, the backstory is that there was this man named Brives Mekis who lived alone in Athens, Georgia. And people just called him the old Russian. No one really, he never talked to anyone. And then he died. And when people went into the house, they discovered that within his house, he had actually completely walled off the middle of the house. And there were two separate apartments within this house and then a door between them. And he was the only one living there. And, and each apartment was furnished completely differently, different books on the shelves and different sets of clothes, magazines. And it's like he would live in one for a while. And then when he gets tired of that, he'd go through the door and live in the other oh. one. Um, and the other thing is in, in apartment B, um, whoever was going through his possessions found stacked to the ceiling self-published book called Life, How to Live. And he had written this book and had made all, uh, you know, printed up all these copies and they had never been released out into the world. No one knows what his intention was with this. And apparently the contents of the book itself are a bit questionable. There's, there's philosophies of life and health, but amongst that there's conspiracy theories, there's um, anti-Semitism, there's racism, and it's um, it's it's funny uh. to... There's actually <laughs> copies of this book for sale. Uh, it'll set you back about uh, $995 on eBay. Oh. And it's really funny oh. to read the reviews because people will give it three, <laughs> three stars, I guess, for the REM connection, but then the review itself says, a horribly racist book with ramblings from a demented southerner. <laughs> Three stars. But I like you know. REM. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then uh, you know, on eBay, this is a must read. But then he goes on to say. Uh, oh, God, guys, get it together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not responsible for any of the views in this book. Um, so Michael Stipe would, would do this a lot where he would find some completely bizarre story or some bit of folklore. And then he'd run it through his own mental cut-up machine and spit it out into these <laughs> lyrics and then R.E.M. would come up with this amazing music and this was this is maybe my favorite example of, of all of those things coming together fabulous wow Lizzie what, what do you make of of all of this well I just really appreciate the insight on that track from yeah. somebody who has literally written the book on it <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense so I I also looked up a little bit about that story and I think I mean the track itself like yeah I really liked it it definitely sounded like REM which is uh, I suppose 
what it's meant to do but you know how some some you think oh slightly different for me this was like yeah all of those elements that i expected to be in this track were there i hadn't mm-hmm. heard this track before i don't think it's one of is it probably fair to say not loads of people would know this one it's it's one of those deep cuts that yeah. hardcore fans of the early years would get really excited if it was played live but your casual people that are familiar with rem's most well-known albums wouldn't know it at all no, I and I, I love them, but I definitely didn't know this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think really this track is indicative of um, Michael Stipe's genius, really, and his songwriting genius, and the way that, like you say, the way that he takes something, cuts it up, and then kind of constructs it back together as something. There is very few people, I think, that can do it better than him um, as a storyteller, sort of as a lyricist, like definitely. But I think sometimes when you do look at their lyrics sort of written down, you're like, mm, okay. But actually as a storyteller <laughs> and the way that he he does it, like that's where I that's where I understand him, I think. And yeah, th- there's one particular bit in the song which I was like, ah, there, there he is. I think it's a particular line where it says, he says it, really fast so you know like in if you ever played mario kart and you can sometimes drive over those um like chevron strips that make you go really fast quite quickly yes. for for like a few seconds michael stipe i love it when he does that every now and then mm. like you hear you hear it in pretty much all the way through in the end of the world as we know it you know yeah. but he does i feel like he does a little bit in this one where there's a particular line where he says uh the air quick and tension building inference and suddenly and then it goes into the next bit but he does just does it really fast and i I can't I suppose I can't really place this in their timeline but if this is early on I feel like maybe that's a glimpse into he's a technique he's going to use later on uh, but I might have got the timelines wrong on that one um no no that's the right way around for, yeah. oh is it yeah yeah. yeah yeah so I really liked hearing that because I was like ah this is you playing around with what happens when you just really speed it up <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah uh really really great song but actually my favorite thing was listening to you talk about it <laughs> oh, thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i love this song so i my story with rem is that i'd always had a connection to out of time and automatic for the people because my dad used to pick us up me and my brother and take us over to his house it was like an hour and a half drive and the only two cds he really had were automatic for the people and out of time mm-hmm. so that was my connection to rem for about I don't know, 10 years from the age of like 5 to 15. My brother got quite a bit into them, so I started to hear some of the later stuff he got up, I think, and reveal. And Mm -hmm. I just sort of kept in touch with what they were doing. There's one of those bands that the connection runs so deep that you always feel like you want to know what they're up to just to orient your life, really, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. to see where they are compared to where you are. Uh, I never checked out any of these stuff earlier than out of time up until last year where i was like i'm gonna challenge this assumption i have that they had maybe two feet finding records before they really you know came in with out of time and all this business which is for some reason in my head the 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 timeline that i had so i did every album in the discography from start to finish last year and fables of the reconstruction is one that i really really enjoyed and felt like a strange record after the first two for me where the pace ultimately of of the record on average seems to drop things get quite murky the production is definitely like uh almost sounds quite overcast 
to my ears. Although this track feels like a little bit faster and a little bit brighter than a lot of the other tracks on that record. I do like the really dirty ones, but this one feels like a little bit of salvation for me and a little bit of uh, almost like a, a slight callback to to the the two records that come prior to it in terms of its tempo and its uh, its feel that's that's kind of how it felt to me i mean it just to me it just sounds like rem is like a really tight talented connected rock band which you know in their later stuff that i was familiar with you get the idea of them as arrangers and you know adding in strings and 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 just building these tracks into into very cinematic kind of works but i think in these early days, you just get a band that you, you can hear the fact that they've rehearsed together so much that they understand each other's energy and they know where they fit into each other's crevices. And everyone's just playing an absolute stormer. Like, Mike Mills' mm. bass is absolutely mental. Like, mm. it sounds like Peter Buck on the guitar is just keeping his guitar very simple at some points just so that Mike Mills can do a few extra somersaults, uh, you know, particularly in the chorus he does that what essentially becomes the main melody where he does that and you know that's the bit you start listening to right um peter buck has like it almost sounds like he's sort of scuffing the strings and sort of only getting some of them when he's playing like the main riff which i absolutely love about his style mm-hmm. and then bill berry sounds like to me it always sounds like bill berry's playing the way he plays it makes it sound faster than it actually is and more frenetic like mm-hmm. he's playing it on a ramp or something and then Michael's great. I, my my favourite bit about Michael is when he goes for that last chorus and says, listen to the holler, but right. basically misses every single note, but it's absolutely fine. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I love it. I, I mean, this, this to me brings me back to, well, only a few months back, really, when I was just l- listening to R.E.M. all the time and you, by extension, Lizzie were were doing the same because uh, mm. we drive around the same car. Uh, but <laughs> th- yeah, th- this is a really fun record, and uh, yeah, just a absolute banger of a song. So, Jack, how surprised were you when you went back to listen to the early albums and realized that there was this entire run of albums that are exalted by a, a, a lot of American fans from the eighties? astonished i couldn't believe it I, it was like unlo- unlocking a, an entirely what felt to me like an alternate history but obviously it's like the history mm-hmm. uh-huh. um I, I think it's just like it's amazing to hear like i say just them playing as a band like within a more conventional format but in yeah. a format that sort of makes me appreciate their proficiency on their individual instruments and mm-hmm. just as a, a group much more so, Robert, did you grow up aware of this stuff or did you have to, like, go back and dig out the early records or where did you kind of cut into R.E.M.? Well, I, I'm 45, so I, I came into it um, with Document. I was I was getting, like, heavily into music in my early teens and, and playing music. And so Document was the first one I heard, but a good friend of mine, his brother was always bringing these albums back from college, and REM were just huge on the college radio circuit. And yeah. um, and so immediately, like, I heard Document right after it came out in 1987, and then within a month of hearing Document, I had heard Murmur and Life's Rich Pageant and Fables. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I hit this stuff just a few years after it came out. Um, so the IRS years was my introduction, but very quickly after I discovered them, they moved to Warner Brothers and and began moving into the things that that you started hearing from your dad. Take your happy home. 
Well, let's go to our final song. So it is mine. It's a song by Jalyn called Carbon 7. Uh, Jalyn being Gerilyn Patton, an artist from Indiana in the US. And this track is from her album Black Origami, released in 2017, which was, I think, genuinely my favourite record from the whole of that year. So she kind of came to be known due to her connection to uh, a scene in Chicago called the footwork scene, which is like a genre and a type of street dance. Not something that I'm familiar with in itself. I'm just aware of the fact that I, you know, I keep hearing this scene in reference to her material. And it kind of seems to be comprised of this very intricate, fast-paced... I mean, it's intricate, fast-paced dance music, basically, you know, made out of samples and and drums like loads of different intricate details um and jillin's music is 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 essentially like built of the same block so it's this lattice of like sampled drums and voices and electronics which are all arranged into these rhythms that kind of roll around and flicker she does this thing where basically she has two time signatures that she's always playing against each other throughout i mean basically all of the tracks on this record so it has this really nice momentum to it but but also as well it's not a momentum built on repetition because there's i don't think there's a single section of this track which repeats itself verbatim there's something different Mm. happening in every single increment of stereo space so sometimes you'll just hear a tiny change in pitch of one sample or or the re the, the the echo just sort of shrink on one particular sound or growing and but you know if you blink you'll you'll miss it and you'll be elsewhere before you know it i I mean she clearly thinks so intensely about where every single thing is placed and she posts a lot on facebook about uh, essentially her theory to how she goes about what she does how she thinks about rhythm and where she places her samples there's a like a a real sense that she's uh, you know there's, there's there's a real craft to what she's doing like a real dedicated craft and it just demands this sort of hyper real uh, uh, version of like conscious attention which isn't really possible without um stimulants that i probably won't explore uh but this this i mean this track is probably my favorite on the record it has these like really good bass drops on it which are these super slow and indulgent kind of slides down in pitch um it's kind of danceable but not in a traditional way and in fact i don't know if our of you saw the video but that kind of hammers that home it's someone dancing in a warehouse and the way they're dancing makes it seem very ambiguous as to whether they're controlling their movements or whether it's coming from elsewhere and a, a lot of those movements Ooh. feel very contorted and um almost like someone's being plucked up by their back or by their head and sort of dragged around a bit it's uh, i mean super powerful stuff i really like it uh lizzie what do you think of this yeah i think this to me felt like a very delicate track uh-huh. I, it made me every time i listened to it it made me feel it made me remember those mechanisms that you know this sort of over elaborate intricate mechanisms that move a ball from one place to another yes yes i know, you know the ones. they yeah. go down a slide and then that sets off a flame which burns through the string which then drops down here and then goes over there it always made me think of that and i feel because because i was thinking of, of go team as well and this cause sort of the samples that that they have it made me think they're both quite playful tracks in their own way so you've got these kind of this gallery of sounds of blings and cracks and rattles and chimes and things but mm. for me this this sort of belongs in a gallery <laughs> you know this yeah, is yeah. a fine this is a fine art piece of music that could go in a gallery because it's so it felt so heavily curated to me 
Which was lovely. It felt very organised and together. Yeah. And it's it's a very clean track. It's very, very clean and precise. Mm. Um, it's the way that the drums sound in it. So there's quite a few sounds in there that are almost like um, very refreshing sounds, like opening a, a Coke can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Or something sure. like... like yeah. <laughs> things like that. Yeah, that kind of soundscape, it, it did make me feel cooled and refreshed and... Like wow, what a what a kind of clean clean metallic track. Yes. Um. So yeah, it's not my my kind of thing. Cause I do I do like my music with a bit more um, a bit more humanness to it, which is probably unfair to say because it's very much made by a human. But um, I was struggling a little bit to find the soul in it. Um. Uh-huh. But if I was wanting something to kind of take me down. In, in sort of energy at, no like you know at night or something yeah totally it's it's really really nice for that so I really enjoyed listening to it I don't know if it's something that I would explore more but yeah it was it was nice to it was nice to kind of delve into it definitely Fair. definitely I should say that I had a track from this album actually on our silent disco at our wedding which uh, was pitched quite well in the night I thought it went down like a Did storm you? at the time people were ready for it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was not on your You were not on my channel, no. no. I did not hear that, that con- no. That <laughs> continues to be true. Um, Robert, what did you think of this one? Well, uh, I, I liked it. And um, first of all, I'm, I'm just curious, what genre would you all say this is? Is this ambient? Mm. Is it? Is it what you said, footwork? Is it something else entirely? How would you define it? I mean, I am awful with genres uh-huh. um, because... Well, I just am, but I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, the 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 way that I found it is, I read a lot of experimental music magazines, and I found out about it through there. So, I mean, I think of it as sort of like, um, I don't know, like exploratory, like electronic rhythmic music, mm-hmm. <laughs> which isn't Ooh, a category I've seen in many record stores. Yeah, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, it's difficult to pinpoint, really. So, my points of reference, uh, the the first thing that or one of the first things that came to mind is probably not a very hip reference, but uh, are you too familiar with an album called Passengers? It's a mostly instrumental collaboration between Brian Eno and U2. Have you heard of that, that disc? No, I haven't. Okay. Blimey. Um, it's, it, there's one half of that that puts me off. I'm going to be too, honest right? straight away. You too. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so this is, uh, the concept behind the record is pretty interesting. It's called Original Soundtracks Volume 1. And the idea is that it's soundtracks to movies, but and there's synopses of the movies, but the catch is that the movies don't oh. actually exist. And, wow. and there's some interesting stuff, particularly when you get deeper into the record and, and probably pretty heavy on the Brian Eno side of that equation. Uh, that, that sounds a bit like this. There's also a, an album uh, that came out in the mid-90s from Australia called Fake. And um, the gimmick with Fake is that they didn't announce who was in the band, but it's actually Steve Kilby from The Church who have written about... And a guy named Simon Polinsky, who does a lot of ambient stuff. And Fake had mm. two discs to it. One was more vocally oriented. A woman named Sandy Chick sang the, the vocals. And then the second disc was called Fake Symphony. And it was like an ambient reworking of the first disc. Um, and, and this could also drop onto Fake Symphony pretty easily. Um, nice. The third thing it reminds me of is when I was at University of Georgia on, on the college radio station... Uh, Saturday nights from about 10 p.m. till 2 in the morning. It was ambient, trip-hop, 
Um, they would also, the, the DJ, who uh, I never caught his name, but I'll be forever grateful to, uh, it, one, one time he just decides he's going to play the entire album of Slow Dive's Pygmalion. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, off the vinyl. And, um, That's bold. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so, and he would play stuff like this all the time. I, I, made, I would just put on a, a cassette and record his program, and I'm, I'm so upset at myself that I don't have any of those tapes anymore because uh, you know, I've never heard any of that, apart from Slow Dive, I've never heard any of that music again. I don't know the names of anything. Oh. Oh, um, ask him. Have you, have you asked him? Do you know I have who he no is? idea who he is. Uh, oh, you know, maybe I could do nice. some research and figure out who was yeah. who was doing that show back then. But um, so I don't have a name for this genre. I like it. I, it's interesting that you said you're trying to find the soul in it, and it's true. It's uh, people often use the term cold or synthetic to talk about this type of music, and I mm. suppose that's true. But it's it's okay. It's like it's it's kind of uh, it takes you into a different mental space. That's kind of where you don't yeah. need soul. It's like an alternate to that. Right. Maybe calm rather than cold is a better kind of calm. Yeah. 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 Although with 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 her stuff, Jillian, you know, she's bringing in those those really off center beats and uh, and I do like the way that although it was ambient, it, it it progressed through different stages, which you don't always see with with ambient music. So. Um, mm, I like it. Mm, yeah, I might yeah. check out some more of her stuff. Yeah, I, oh, I, I totally recommend it. I think the 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 discussion on whether or not this falls into like cold or, or whether there is kind of a humanity to it is really interesting. For for me, I think the textures uh, maybe lean towards it being something which is quite precise in a way which is feels very mechanical, but it's. For me, it feels it's the movement that's constructed the rhythm, which feels to me to be quite human. I, I, I'm always very surprised with, say, the music we listen to in clubs, which has that very mechanical just boom, boom, boom at the base of it. When I when I think about the fact that you know movement seldom looks like that, and it is this mm. call and response, very uh, haptic flow really and i feel like a, a music like this to me feels so much more adherent to the way that i understand movement and an organic form of movement that's where i see this to be quite a human work and certainly not textually but i think rhythmically that's where i find it i think that's why it stuck with me this album <laughs> Robert, this has been fab. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us and talking about these tracks. Yeah. This has been wicked. I really appreciate it. I wish we lived closer together because I'd, I'd love to just hang out and talk about this stuff all the time. Oh, dude. Oh, no, don't. I both. would just ask you about Aria oh. all the time. <laughs> questions like, what's your favorite song? And stuff like that. So <laughs> you don't wish that, maybe. <laughs> I mean, if people want to check out your book, which they 100% should... Yeah. Where's the best place to head? I guess right now, Amazon.com. And it is at uh, Amazon UK. Um, I, I heard from a 
British reader just yesterday saying that he hadn't gotten his yet. So I think it's it's supposed to be out right now. I think it might still be getting shipped out from there. Um, oh, Amazon okay. US, of course, will we'll ship it anywhere. Um, there's there's tons of great bookstores in the US I could mention. Um, so US listeners, uh, my two favorites are Avid Bookshop in Athens, Georgia, and also Changing Hands here in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, I believe Powell's mm-hmm. Books in Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon, has it. So those are three really good independent bookstores. Nicely done. That's wicked. I should say as well, I bought it today for a friend's birthday, uh, who I know has been on the same. He came up to me last year and went, I've been listening through REM's discography from start to finish. And definitely pretended that I hadn't told him that I was doing the same thing. But nonetheless... <laughs> He's been on the same journey, so I know that he's going to absolutely love this, and then I'm going to pinch it off him and read it. So it works well for the both of us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you once again, Robert. It's been a pleasure. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.